We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. We will uh, start with number 10. Uh, David, this is your first week with us, uh, at least in a while. I'm going to pass you over uh, and let uh, Nancy do the reading this week. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If if there's a discrepancy, I'm sure we'll be able to figure it out. Um, Rabbi Yonah, right? Sure. Here, yeah, why don't you read from yours so that David can follow along in his? Rabbi Yonah said in the name of Rabbi, Le- Rabbi Levi, why was the world created with... Yeah, let's do it yeah. here. It's, with, got, it's got stuff in between. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's, it's like that. It's like, here, well, here. Like why don't we do this then? Uh, why don't we pass, uh, pass this along to David? Okay, and I'll 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 follow in the uh, in the old fashioned version. Right, there's uh, this is more than one copy, I think. Uh, maybe not. No, no, no. It just doesn't have a staple. Yeah, just doesn't have a staple. Yeah. Okay. So Rabbi Yonah, in the name of Rabbi Levi, said, "Why? Why was the world created with a?" Just as a bet is closed on all sides. But just like, okay, that's the question that we're starting with. Why? What, what does that mean? Why was the world created with a bet? Gracious. Right. Good. Right. The first word. Sorry, Franklin. We're now back to the first word of the first verse. <laughs> um, we thought we were making some progress, but we went really all the way back to the beginning. And I read it really quickly, and I thought about Saturday night. So there you go. You thought about Saturday night? Casino night. Oh. Bet. Oh, with a bet. Right. Um, <laughs> listen, it is all a gamble. It's all a gamble. Um, <laughs> okay, so why, right. Why was the world created with better, or another way of putting it, why, was, why did the Torah start with a bet, right? Okay. Just as a uh, bet is closed on all sides and open in the front, so you are not permitted to say what is beneath, what is above, what came before, what will come after. Rather, from the day the world was created and after, Bar Kapara Right, so in other words, we're we're not supposed to, uh, we start with a bet because we're not supposed to do everything that the Midrash has been doing previously, you know, what could be for the world, uh, what will come after the world. By the way, there's a, um, uh, a, uh, this idea of uh, not uh, uh, thinking about what came before the world and what came after, uh, what's above, what's below, is, um, is, is part of, uh, what I, you know, I, I'm always trying to be careful when I say famous when it comes to, like, Jewish texts, because, you know, like, we're 1% of the world's population, and maybe, like, it's famous for, like, you know, 10% of that 1%, right? So, um, uh, but there's a famous uh, uh, story in Talmud of um, of a rabbi named Elisha Ben-Abuya. Uh, if you've ever read the book uh, As a Driven Leaf by Milton Steinberg, have you ever read that book? I have not. You have to read that book. You have to read that book. I have to write it down. It's, a, it's fiction, It's but and, it, and it's just, it's a great book. Um, it's, it's about... Um 
It's about a rabbi named Elisha Ben Abuya, who is known in the Talmud as uh, as like a, a an apostate rabbi, right? So he's a rabbi who uh, committed apostasy of of some uh, some regard. And so the uh, uh, the Mishnah says that a person is not supposed to study, not supposed to inquire um, about you know what what what's above, what's below, what's before, what's coming after. And the Talmud, based on that Mishnah, uh, tells of a story of four rabbis who are all, you know, kind of thinking about that question. Uh, and uh, the four rabbis are Rabbi Akiva, uh, uh, Ben Azai, uh, Ben Zoma, and Elisha Ben Abuya. And uh, they, they, uh, they all enter heaven. Uh, ben, ben Azai uh, uh, looks, you know, gazes at, uh, into, into, you know, the infinite and, uh, and dies. Benzoma goes insane. Rabbi Akiva walks out unscathed. And Alicia Benabuya, um, uh, commits apostasy. Um, and so it's supposed to be a cautionary story about, you know, like really only one of the four was able to withstand looking into things that uh, that humans don't really have the capacity to understand, uh, and then it goes into this whole kind of explanation of what you know what happened to Alicia Benabuya. It's an incredible story. So the uh, As a Driven Leaf is a is a fictionalized account of of that narrative, um, and really Alicia Benabuya is the um, the, uh, the the protagonist of, of that story. As a Driven Leaf. As a Driven title. Leaf. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, titles taken from a line in the book of Deuteronomy uh, that, you know, if you uh, fail to abide by the laws of the Torah, um, uh, uh, you'll, you'll, you know, your enemies will put to, will, will, will put you to flight, and, you know, like life will just be really bad, and, you know, the, the, the sound of a driven leaf will terrify you, that sort of thing. Um, so, um, uh, so anyway, I mean, so my, my point in all of that is that the rabbinic tradition um, has a has a strong thread of of saying that these are really not questions that we should be you know entertaining or comprehending because we don't really have the capacity to uh, to understand them. We don't we, we don't have the capacity to deal with them uh, now. Clearly, that doesn't stop rabbis from talking about it and studying and thinking about it. Um, but this this I, this line of um, of uh, you know, um, right? You have no permission, lomar, uh, to say malamata, what's above, what's below, what's uh, what's before, and what's after. Right? That 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 line, that law, that teaching is a prevalent idea in rabbinic literature. Now. Uh, that's, I think, you know, open to conversation. You know, do you agree or disagree with that? That's we can have that conversation. But just, just want to point out that so, this is not something that's unique to the midrash here. Yeah. If you can't do that, <coughs> then it says what will come after. Doesn't that leave you kind of hanging to think that there's something that's going to come after that this isn't going to go on? And well, right. I mean, we'll you raise that question. It's kind of hard to ignore. Exactly. I mean, the same thing with the other side of it. You know, once you say that there was something before, that also raises the question, well, what do you mean there was something before? It's hard to shake it once you have that question. Um, 
And again, it does not stop the rabbinic tradition from spending a lot of time thinking about, you know, what will the days of the Messiah be like? You know, what will, what will the end of the world be like and uh, the end of time? Um, we, you know, we deal with that all the time. You know, I think ultimately what it's saying, and this is something that I hear, you know, uh, people who speak fondly of Judaism say all the time that Judaism is much more focused on the right here, right now, mm. you know, and, uh, you know, our, our questions are more along the lines of, you know, how do we engage with each other and interact, you know, in, in, uh, in this time and place, um, you know, focusing less on, you know, where we're, where we're destined to go. Um, but I would say that, you know, the, it's hard to, in a religious framework, it's really hard to escape those kind of ultimate questions. Um, and, and those questions have, have relevance, you know, there's, uh, I don't know if you guys watch, um, the show Modern Family. Um, but it was a few years ago, um, Jay, the like, you know, kind of curmudgeonly grandfather played by Al Bundy, um, <laughs> uh, at O'Neill, um, he like, he like tries to get his, you know, very inquisitive stepson, uh, Manny, you know, kind of to like leave him alone and let him go play golf. And, uh, and uh, Manny's supposed to be going to church and, but he wants to go play golf instead, uh, um, the, the grandfather. So he, um, so he says that, you know, he doesn't believe in, in heaven and hell. And so Manny then spends like the rest of the, the uh, episode kind of like prodding him on that belief. Like, like Jay, the grandfather is like, you know, just wants to go play golf. Like he doesn't, hasn't really thought about this question. Right? But what Manny points out is like, um, you know, in a religion that doesn't think at all about a moral afterlife, um, there's a lot that goes unexplained, you know, the motivations for doing good in this world. Uh, how do you deal with the, 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 the flourishing of the wicked and the, and, and the, and the suffering of the righteous? You know, there's all these kinds of questions that are, you know, very hard to answer without recourse to some kind of afterlife. Um, and similarly, you know, the idea of like what came before the creation of the world, it, you know, begs the question of like, what's our purpose with being here in the first place? You know, well, if we don't ask the question of why did God create the world or with what did God create the world? We don't know, you know, what is it that we're made out of? Why does that matter? What is it that God wanted us to do? What was in God's mind in creating the world, etc. So those are important religious questions, you know? Um, so it's not insignificant that the rabbinic tradition says, don't think about them, you know? Uh, but you're right that when it does that, it's sort of like, you know, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, right? And all you want to do is see what's behind the curtain, right? Yeah, no. right. Like, don't look down. Never look down. You know, I know this is what you meant, but that's, uh, um, there was a, there's a significant line of, of Christian critique about uh, Judaism that is along those lines. It says that Judaism's insistence on, on law, on all the, you know, prohibitions, commandments about what not to do, um, creates sin. You know, if that if we didn't, if we didn't spend all this time telling people, telling people, you know, uh, uh, what to do to avoid sin, they would have no inclination to sin. Um, and so it's the, it's the law itself that creates the pretext for, for human, for human, uh, bad behavior. Well, forget about original sin. Right, right. Well, but it starts there, right? So God says, don't eat from the tree. And what are the, obviously, if you tell me not to eat from the tree, you give me like one thing I'm not supposed to do, the thing I'm going to want to do. Like if God hadn't said anything in the first place, they probably wouldn't even notice the tree was there at all. Isn't part of the whole process is to like curtail that behavior though? That's the improvement piece of it. You know, to like rise above that, oh, well, I was told not to. 
I just want to do it anyways. Right. Okay. Well, still don't do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, my wife has this theory that you don't tell somebody something you don't want them to do because they don't hear the don't. In other words, mm -hmm. you should not do this, but you should say you should do this. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because people That's just don't want to hear the not. And oddly enough, sometimes when I'm keyboarding and I'm putting in, I skip that word, even though it's supposed to be there. No. I don't know why that happens, but um, it's almost uh, an oddity, I guess, you know? Mm. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. I've heard that too. It's, uh, I, I live it with my kids. Right. Well, that's the context in which <laughs> yeah, you right. brought it up. Right. Okay. All right. Let's let's see where we where uh, how how we keep going with this. Um, and uh, I think we're actually moving on to a, a slightly different idea next. You want to keep reading, Nancy? Yes. Okay. Because I stopped at Barkapara. Yep. Barkapara said, "You have but to inquire about bygone ages that came before you. Ever since God created humanity on Earth, ever since God created them, you may speculate. However, wait, you may speculate. Sorry." Ever since God created them, you may speculate. However, you may not speculate on what was before that. From Okay, so it, it's actually not a different idea. It's, uh, I think, an attempt to uh, refine the idea that came before, right? So that, why did the Torah start with a bet? So that you wouldn't think about what came before. So... So there's a, he's raising the possibility of a challenge to that, right? So the possibility of challenge is that the book of Deuteronomy says, uh, when, when you ask about bygone ages, right? Uh, and so the response that he gives, why, why is that, uh, or how does he, how does he answer that, uh, that, that hypothetical challenge about answer, thinking about bygone ages? The wording is a little confusing. Yeah. So, um, uh, so what he says is that um, you can ask about things from the moment that the world was created, right? From the moment that the world was created, you can ask, you can inquire, you can think about, you can investigate, uh, but you may not uh, investigate or ask before that. Or well, there weren't any days to investigate about. Right, right. So I mean, that's which which is the challenge that that uh, that the contemporary science has. You know, they can get to this sort of like infinitesimally, uh, you know, uh, minuscule moment after the Big Bang, but they can't uh, study what precipitated the Big Bang in the first place, right? They can only theorize about it, um, but there's no way to really study it or, or prove it, uh, except for maybe what they're trying to do with the, you know, those like super particle colliders. But really, those are only studying, I mean, they, so they, they can theorize that like the Big Bang might have happened because of something like that, right? But, uh, but that's a presumption. Uh, and what it will show you is what happened in the, Immediate moments after the Big Bang, uh, but not beforehand. Um, uh, it's uh, it's one of the frontiers of, of science that we may not ever have answers to. There's a handful of things like that, but but among them are this question. So he may not only be stating a religious precept here, but a, just a, a point of fact, right? That it's impossible to uh, to study what came before there was a before. 
Okay, so now we're going to, again, have a, have a similar idea, right? We're going to raise the possibility of a challenge to this idea that you can't investigate certain things, and then, and then a refutation of that hypothetical challenge. So, Nancy, do you want to keep going with that? Certainly. At, from ever since God created them, or from the very last sentence on the next page? Uh, you know, I'm not looking at the... Oh, this is long. I'm sorry, I flipped the wrong way. Okay. So it should start with uh, um, from one end, yeah. From one end... Of heaven to the other. On this, on this you may speculate and investigate, but you may not speculate and investigate on what was before. Rabbi Yehuda. All right. So let's just okay. That's so again. It's a similar kind of thing. Um, uh, Although it's 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 still thinking about the question of what came before. I thought it was going to um, uh, talk about you know what's above, right? Because we had this idea, you know, what malamala, malamata, what's above, what's below. Um, But he's talking about you know from from one end of the heavens to the other, right? So in other words, you know, um, it's talking about both. This is an interesting point, I think. It's talking about both space and time, right? You can investigate uh, uh, anything from the beginning of space and time, but not before the beginning of space and time. Um, that, I, I mean, just as a, I, I think it's kind of an aside, but I think it's an amazing, I don't know if they had, the, well, I know that they didn't have this in mind, but just this idea that that, that they would take, uh, that they would that the that the rabbinic tradition would take pains to say that that both the studying of space and time uh, it, it, what was before either of those things uh, um, we need to specify both of those things are impossible to study you know uh, you might have thought that they would have said like one or the other right or just thought about them in different ways you know it wasn't until Einstein that uh, that that theorized that space and time were actually the same thing just one's faster than the other, right? Um, uh, but um, uh, uh, but here you have, I think, an intimation of that, right? That uh, uh, that there's uh, that you know these these are both sort of like intertwined phenomena um, of of, uh, of of space and time. Um, if we want, we could look at that passage from uh, from the book of Deuteronomy um, that it's quoting here. Um, this is the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, uh, toward the beginning, I mean, of the book of Deuteronomy. Yep. Uh, ver- 4, verses 32. Okay. 281. Um, uh, so if you if you go back up, you know if you if you sort of like look at the context of this, um, uh, when you have begotten children and children's children and are long established in the land, should you act wickedly and make for yourselves a sculptured image in any likeness, causing the Lord your God displeasure and vexation, I call heaven and earth this this day to witness against you. Uh, that you shall soon perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You shall not long endure on it, uh, but shall be utterly wiped out. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a scant few of you shall be left among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There you will serve man-made gods of wood and stone that cannot see or hear or eat or smell. But if you search there for the Lord your God, you will find him, if only you seek him with all your heart and soul. 
when you are in distress because all these things have befallen you, and in the end return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail you, nor will he let you perish. He will not forget the covenant which he made on oath to your fathers. You have but to inquire about bygone ages that came before you. Ever since God created man on earth from one end of heaven to the other, has anything as grand as this ever happened? Or has its like ever been known? Has any people heard the voice of a God speaking out of a fire as you have and survived? Or has any God ventured to go and take for himself one nation from the midst of another by prodigious acts, by signs and portents, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and awesome power, as the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? It has clearly been demonstrated to you that the Lord alone is God, there is none beside him. Um, yeah, you should uh, be the same, but but in any event, yeah, uh, this is, it should be the same thing, frankly, and it, it should be on page two eighty one in there too, I would think. Um, uh, but uh, you know, so the, I mean, the context here, right? Moses is speaking; he's admonishing the children of Israel about you know what to, what they're going to do when they enter the land. Um, uh, uh, you know. Uh, prophesying that they will break faith with God when they enter the land. Uh, you know, the commandment here for tshuva, right? Uh, that, uh, um, you know, when, when you are in distress because all these things have befallen you, uh, you will return to the Lord your God, right? So that's, that's, v'hashevota uh, adonai lohecha, I believe in Hebrew. Um, and, uh, and you also have just another famous line in here, right? Um, uh, um, uh, 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 where's the line? Adonai Hua Elohim in Od Milvado. Right, there's none other beside God. Um, uh, it actually probably should start if I'm not looking at the Hebrew, but I would think it starts Atahareta Ladat Ki Adonai Hua Elohim in Od Milvado. Am I right, Nancy? Are you looking at the Hebrew? I'm trying to find it. Sorry, it's a uh, uh, um, verse uh, 35. So Lamed Hey. <laughs> Read it again. Say it again. Um, Ata hareta ki adonai hu ha Elohim ein od milvado. That's what I've got. So that first part is translated. It's been clearly demonstrated. Yeah, yeah. Atahare taladad is an interesting phrase. That, um, the, literally, it says, you have been shown to know. Right, yeah. that's cool. What does it say? It's exactly what you said. Well, yeah, it's, it, that one's easy one to memorize because on uh, on Simcha Torah, it's one of the it's one of the phrases that you sing when you're taking the Torah out uh, for for the Hakafot. Is this also Tishbaav liturgy or uh, reading? Yes. Cool. That's what I have a little. I'm trying to. Um, what a cool passage. This is the reading for Tishbaav morning. This is the reading for Tishbaav morning. Um, yeah. Anyway, so, I mean, the, you know, what's interesting about it is that, you know, contextually, um, you know, th- this passage, you know, to me wouldn't seem to imply, uh, uh, you know, anything before creation. So it's in some ways, it's a strange passage to take a, you know, you might, you might argue based on this verse that you could inquire before creation took place. Right, um, but the but the ultimate point is the same, right? That uh, that that whether you you know whether you want to think about 
times gone by, or whether you want to think about the expanse of the cosmos, you can, you know, you can go back uh, to the very beginning. You can go to all the way to one end of the universe, but you, but there's no, but you can't go beyond that, right? Not you're not allowed to, or you might say that it's impossible to. That's an interesting difference. That you're not allowed to, and that it's impossible to. You can't. It's true because you can't. If that's what he's saying, like, there's no way to know. I mean, we've spent weeks and weeks, and we're only ten little blips in. You know, right. it's impossible. It's interesting. Yeah. So the the initial phrase that that Rabbi Yona, in the name of Rabbi Levi, gives is "Ein lecha reshut." Right. You have no permission to. Right. So where does that come from? What the no permission to? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, honestly. The, the rabbis made it up. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I mean they're, you know, they're they're basing it on they're basing it on a verse. They're ba- it's a midrash, right? So they're saying that now it depends. You know, you might say that this is Torah Shabal Pet, right? God gave this to Moses at Mount Sinai. It was passed down from generation to generation until it got to Rabbi Yonah in the name of Rabbi Levi, who like taught it, and then it was written down in this book, right? And, and what what God told Moses at Mount Sinai when God was teaching Moses the whole Torah said. See that first verse, right? People in uh, 2,000 years are going to spend a lot of time talking about that first verse just so they know, right, it's written with a bet so that nobody talks about what came before creation. Now, what's the, the bet prefix mean again? It's, it's, it's in or with or of? Yeah, so I, I think I've mentioned this before that Hebrew, Hebrew kind of has um, uh, um, a promiscuous... Um, What's that part of speech called? Prepositions. Prepositions. Promiscuous prepositions. Also pronouns sometimes are promiscuous in Hebrew. Uh, promiscuous prepositions. So it could mean in, right? It could mean with. Um, uh, yeah, it would usually either be one of those two things, right? Um, or the, the, our trans- the JPS translation translates it as like, uh, and, and there is a, there is like an essay where they actually talk about what they're doing with it grammatically, which is a little bit over my head. Uh, but they translate it as "when God began," right? So they translate it sort of like "when," as uh, as like a, a um, it's not a preposition in their translation of it, or like functionally, it's different than a preposition. I don't know, um, or like you know maybe "as," right? At, you know, "as God began." Yeah, it makes a big difference. If you say with the beginning of something rather than in the beginning of something, Mm -hmm. it gives a totally different connotation. Yeah. So what would you do with that if it, um, the difference between those two things? You're going to get me into a long story, so don't want to do that. Um, Um, Well, I I like the with the beginning mm -hmm. because. you know, it, it sort of acknowledges something before that. We're talking about with the beginning of creation. We're not talking about creation of the world. Right. Well, so it, with the creation of the sky. And and, and, and the GPS uh, understands that Bereshit not as a uh, uh, not as like a, a definite. You know, uh, I guess a, a preposition and a noun. Right. You know, in in the beginning. Right. But. When God began, so you know, uh, Bereshit. It's like Bereshit, Bereshit Elohim bara is sort of you know when, when God began to create, right? So create is the verb. God is the subject. Uh, Bereshit is, I don't know, the 
adverb, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how how it would function right. grammatically. But right, it's um, uh, apparently they have a very strong grammatical case to make for that. It's just uh, that's not my strong suit, so I'm not exactly sure how how it works. Um, but the other thing that, and we mentioned this before as well, that that's sort of trippy about it is that even if you wanted to define bereshit as in beginning, right, or with beginning, um, it's not ba-reshit, it's b-reshit. What's the difference? Well, the ba would, no, go ahead. Isn't that what you, that would be the, there's a the in there, yeah. got, but it's not, it's not there. Right. It's. So it's, it's not the beginning, right? It's, it's in a beginning, right? If it's, if, if that's how we're translating it. We don't, we don't, although we haven't yet seen a midrash, it could be coming, we haven't yet seen a midrash that suggests that we're reading it wrong. I don't want to take us too far afield, but I remember one summer. Far afield's what we do. A camper said, well, what if we're breaking up the words wrong, and it should be baroche, eat barre or something. I don't think it grammatically makes sense. But, you know, it could have been that it's not supposed to be Bereshit. It could be some other breaking up of the words. It's certainly possible. Not my theory, you know. That blew my mind. I never considered that because uh, the original stuff didn't have vowels at all. Right. Um, you know, it's 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 certainly possible. Um, sorry. Um, the You know, uh, both in terms of how the words are broken out, you have that uh, already in uh, in a number of places in the Torah. What what they what they call kri and kativ. So the Torah, as it's written, is not how we're instructed to read it. Uh, now there are uh, like agreed upon uh, liturgical. Uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but they're they're, they're around if you if you find them. And that was based, you know a lot of the vocalization of the Torah um, and the you know the cancellation marks of the Torah are are early medieval or, or like actually high medieval, I guess I would say, like in the in the tenth uh, um, or eleventh century, a group of people called the Masoretes uh, took the text of the Bible and made sort of like an, a definitive. Um, Rendering of of the of the text of the Hebrew Bible. These are Jew, Jewish rabbinic scholars, um, scribes. Uh, you know, so what we have the, the text of the Torah that we have is known as the Masoretic text for that reason. Right, so it's the sort of like official the official version, uh, implying that there were non official versions uh, out there or versions that the Masoretes thought were not official, uh, with discrepancies in the text and so on and so forth. Uh, and there are places where, um, where the, where, where the, 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 you know, they, they might have found in all of their versions of the Torah that they had, you know, that they had, uh, were working with, you know, a particular word was written in a certain way, but reading the verse, they're like, well, that can't be right. You know, so they'll say, well, you should read it this way. Right. Um, Yes. 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 Uh, you know, if, if 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 you give me a little bit of time after, I'll find you. I'll find you a couple of examples of that. Now, it's not in. If you look in the Torah scroll, it's not like that, right? But if you look in like a chumash, you'll you'll have those Korean Katib things. Um, sometimes 
it, it, this, I can't think of a place in the Torah itself where you have this, but there are some places in, in the prophets and in, in, in Ketuvim, uh, where the Korean Ketiv is actually significant. Like they're, they're like, it's almost like, um, censoring. Like there's a place in the book of Kings or book of Samuel, it's in the David stories where, where, where like someone is doing something, I don't know, unsavory, like not PG, you know? And, uh, and and so the 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 Cree, the the way you are supposed to read it is a, is sanitizes what's happening in the story. So sometimes it's not just a simple like like that word can't be right or that's written wrong. We're gonna keep it as it's written, right? Uh, but it's but it's like this is not for public consumption, so we're gonna write it differently. So you have that. The rabbis do that a lot too. Although like the the midrashic versions of that aren't usually are usually a separate thing altogether. So um, uh, uh, there's. So in, um, excuse me, in uh, a couple parshiot ago, B'Shalach, when the Jewish people get to the Sea of Reeds, um, it says that they camped um, Al-Piachirot, right, uh, which is a place called Piachirot. Uh, and the rabbinic tradition says, um, Al-Tikre Chirot Ella Cherut. Don't read it as Cherut. Read it as Cherut, which means freedom, right? So they, they camped at the mouth of freedom, right? The, the edge of, of being totally liberated, right? That's what, so the rabbis are doing a, a midrashic version there, right? They're saying, uh, that, uh, that, you know, that the, that the way you're, you're reading it may be how you're supposed to read it, but what it really is getting you to, to say, oh, we have, actually, there's a famous one of this, right? Um, you, we've talked about this, and you can see it in, at the end of Ein Kelohenu, a, a rabbinic teaching that says, um, uh, 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 that says, um, uh, uh, maribim shalom ba'olam, right? Uh, that the students of the sages or Torah scholars, uh, Torah students, uh, increase peace in the world. Um, uh, Shinet Mar, um, uh, something, uh, the Rav Shalom Banaich, right? That uh, great will be the peace of your children, right? And it says, Al Tikri Banaich. Ella Bonaich. Don't read it as your children. Read it as your builders, right? Because your children will be the builders of peace in the world. Your, your students of Torah will be builders of peace in the world. Right? So, so that that's a that's a classical rabbinic move to say that what the Torah is saying. Don't read it quite that way. Read it in a different way that will give you more of a. Of a, of a sense of meaning. So, but all of that is based on this idea that, you know, that, uh, that, that the Torah was given without vowels, right? And, uh, and we could read it in a number of different possible ways, you know? And if the Torah doesn't, uh, say what you want it to say, the Hasidic tradition is replete with this, right? Of like, re, you know, taking one word and like, like reading it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, they just, that, that's like, that's like, that's like, uh, uh, that's like this, that's like the Hasidic Super Bowl, you know, is like, is like taking a word from Torah and like manipulating it such that it means like the total opposite of what it meant initially, you know, or like separating it, you know, say like, you know, just like you said, like, you know, I, I don't read it as Bereshit bara, read it as Barosh Yit bara, right? And they would say about it, Barosh Yit bara, right? In the mind, one creates oneself, right? Look like what like we just did, right? Um, so, like, like if I were, you know, Hasidically inclined, I might give that, and maybe next week I'll give that midrash. I'll give that. I'll give that to Torah. That's not what they were saying. But that's great. I like that. I like that. They were using rosh as another word for beginning or 
or start or something. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Like Rosh Hashanah. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. <clears throat> Any other thoughts about this or should we move on a little bit? That was a great one. <laughs> Did we, even, we haven't even finished this one. Uh, no, we didn't finish this oh, one. Yeah. This is a long one. This is a long one. All right. Um, let's see. Nancy, you want to you wanna go next? Darash, uh, so Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Judah. Uh, right here. Rabbi Yehuda ben Pop. Yep. He mm -hmm. explained the creation story according to Why was the world created with a bet? Okay, so now we have another another mid you know same same verse or same word, right? Another midrash on it. Another explanation. Another explanation. To teach you there are two worlds, this world and the world to come. Okay, alright. So that's another midrash. The first one says, why the Torah start with a bet? To teach you that don't think don't look behind the curtain. Right? Focus forward. Uh Another interpretation is it starts with the bet to teach you what? Because this, because it is the language of blessing. No, 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 no. Sorry, what, what did you? What did Nancy just read before that? To teach you, there are two worlds: this world and the world to come. Two worlds: this world and the world to come. Right? Why? How does that work? Why? What? What does that have to do with bet? Well, it's still going forward. You're not. That's the second letter of the alphabet, so it stands for two. Good, yeah. That's. Uh, I mean, you may be right, but but I think that's the technical answer. Uh, that uh, you know, in gematria, bet is two, right? Um, so it's it's implying, it's hinting, you know, that uh, that there were two creations that happened, right? That there's a that there's two worlds. There's a, there's the world, uh, this world, and the world that is coming. Really, not that different when you think about it. What's not that different? The two interpretations. How so? Because if you take the totality of what the first one says, your priority should be this world and the world to come, right? Yeah, except for you're not. Well, you're not. A, you're not supposed to think too much about uh, uh, mala achor, right? You know uh, what's what's going to come after. After what? Though? I mean, there's no indication. So I would give that a broad interpretation and say what's beyond what we can experience. Mm -hmm. But the world to come is within that experience. Okay? Yeah. So to me, these are sort of similar. Okay. But, you know, it's just the way I look at it. Any, anybody have thoughts about that or have a different cool. opinion? That was cool. You know, it's, I mean, my, my, incl my initial, you know, my instinct was, was to, was to uh, see it in, in, in quite the opposite way, you know, that the first one, that the first one, but yeah, I, I love that, you know, the, but the first one seems to me to say, don't focus on the things that you can't know anything about, right? Uh, and this one uh, seems to say, well, it's sort of agnostic on what you should or shouldn't focus on, right? Um, but it's saying that there, that there are two worlds that are being created simultaneously. One is this one, one is the next one, um, but doesn't necessarily say don't spend any time thinking about the next one, right? It sounds like in some way, like part and parcel of studying creation is, is also thinking about that question of what what the next world is going to be like. I wonder if he's also saying that on some level the next world is just like this one, right? The rules of it are just like this one. The the, the functioning of it is just like this one. I don't know. Um, so how much teaching is there on the world to come? 
Yeah, the Talmud. The Talmud spends a lot of time talking about it. You know, it's not. Uh, uh, it's it's not comprehensively developed as an idea, really, until the couple. Until the until the there's there's more of a mystical movement in in Judaism in you know in the in in the high Middle Ages. Um, you know, so there's you know what well, I mean. If you ask if you ask somebody in the Orthodox community. Um, the Zohar was written in uh, before this before the Midrash was written. It was written by uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who was a rabbi in the time of the Mishnah. And so the Zohar talks about things like that, um, uh, and other mystical books talk about it. But the Talmud talks about uh, uh, ta- you know sort of like theorizes about uh, Olam Haba uh, in, in some way, at least in broad strokes. Um, you know, the, in Tractate Sanhedrin, there's a whole chapter dealing with um, dealing with Yimei HaMashiach and you know, the, the time of the Messiah. And, um, so it's you know, so it's talked about a lot, but it's not there's there's not like one you know single comprehensive authoritative book about what Olam Haba is in Judaism. Um, in part, I think you know for the reason that we're saying is that you know. Um, I think it's just sort of generally presumed that, that that nobody has a monopoly on knowing what it is because no one's ever been there and come back except for maybe Rabbi Akiva and that story I was alluding to before. Okay, so I feel like I'm talking too much. But no, you're great. Um, you're great. When I think of the world to come, I sort of think of whether there's a world for us individually afterwards, not some kind of, you know, what's after this type of, I can't explain this to you. Yeah. You know, what, what's going to replace this kind of world in the future for the living or, right. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's, there's kind of, talk about rewards in the world to come. So mm-hmm. it seems like each of us has a portion in the world to come. Yeah. Um, but then if you look at this, it might be they're talking about world to come in a totally different context. Yeah, um, so there's, there's, there's kind of two ways that this idea of Olam Haba is spoken about. Um, and they're, they're, they're related, but they're distinct. Uh, so one is uh, this idea of, like, you know, the Messianic era, right? It's a perfected world, right? So, like, the next era of, of uh, you know, existence um, after the time of the Messiah. So that's sometimes referred to as Olam Haba, right? The, 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 the new world order, right? The world that is coming. Another way of thinking about it is like heaven, right? You know, so where we go after we die. Um, there, there are some strands of thought that kind of combine those two things that, you know, that, that basically, you know, uh, everyone is kind of like, you know, in, in, in purgatory as it were, uh, you know, when you're in this world, it's like purgatory. When you're in the, when, when, when you die, you're kind of like kept in waiting. Like there's nothing really that happens to you after you die until, until the time of the Messiah, in which case all the living and the dead are going to be judged. And then the good ones will all party in Jerusalem and have a barbecue, you know? Um, uh, but, um, you know, so there, there, uh, there, there are different ways that people think about this idea of Alam Haba. But, you know, but you're right. I mean, you know, so like when Maimonides talks about it, uh, so Maimonides, the, the, the Talmud says, uh, Kol Yisrael Yishlehem Chelek Le'olam Haba, right? All, 
all every Jew has a portion in the world to come, right? And the, the, the implication also is that, like, you know, righteous non-Jews also have a portion in the world to come, but Jews, by virtue of being Jews, have a portion in the world to come, although Maimonides in, in his uh, uh, law code lists out certain kinds of Jews who don't have a portion in the world to come, and it includes, you know, people like apostates and that sort of thing. Um, so yours to lose. It's yours to lose, exactly, right? It's like it's like when you you know you have the coin toss, but you choose to kick off for some reason, right? Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, sorry, Patriots fans, but um, so um, right. So that but uh, um, but I, now that we're talking about it, I actually have to go back and see. So I'm actually not sure uh, if Maimonides is thinking about heaven there, you know, where you go after you die. Or if he's thinking about um, uh, the you know messianic era, you know, and and uh, and all Jews are sort of at, you know uh, um, admissible, you know, inherently admissible to, to to party in Jerusalem. Right? They all have their ticket. They could get their ticket taken away, right? But they all have a ticket. Okay, right. let's go on a little bit. Why with a bet? Because it is the language of blessing. And why not with an olive? Because it is the language of cursing. Okay, so another opinion. What's that, Franklin? I've never heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. So the Torah starts with a bet because a bet is a bracha. Yeah, right. And right? And an olive and an olive is uh, is a curse. So what's the word for curse? Arira. Arira. I mean there's 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 in, uh, in, for example, in the book of Deuteronomy, you have like all these blessings and curses, and the curse language is arur ha'ish, right? So cursed be the person. Yeah. Um, that's why also you say Purim. Purim's coming up, right? So you say uh, um, you're supposed to drink on Purim. Adul yada bein arur Mordechai, arur haman ve'baruch Mordechai, right? Cursed uh, Haman, blessed Mordechai. Torah starts. Okay, it's a nice little midrash. Torah starts with a bet because it's a, it's, it's a nice, it implies a nicer word. Okay. 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 You want to keep going? That's good. Uh, oh, is it, is it moving on to eleven in yours? Oh, okay, it doesn't have it as a separate midrash in the uh, in the original in the OG. No, that's saying that's at the end of that. I found one in Hebrew on the other side, but no. Oh, I got a whole lot more. Yeah. I see. I see. I see what happens here. Ah, oh, that's where is that on my thing? Ah, okay. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to. Uh, all right. So uh, I, I apologize. Um, I, I forgot about that. Uh, for some reason, yeah, yeah, we're missing some of that translation. Let me read it to you, okay? This is more, um, readable than, remember a couple years ago you were doing something <laughs> only with Hebrew. And yeah. Hebrew was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, at least a little bit. Sorry about that. More approachable. Um, okay, Devarachir. So another another opinion, another interpretation. Lama Loba Aleph. Why wasn't uh, the Torah? Why doesn't the Torah begin with an Aleph? 
Um, Franklin, I'm reading only in the Hebrew here uh, on your page, so it's the yeah. uh, so end. Devar Acher, Lama Loba Aleph. Okay, so why, why didn't we begin with an Aleph? Shaloli ten pitchon pe le epicorsin, Lomar, Heacholam, Yachola mod, Shehu Nivra, Bilshon Arira. Okay, so, um, so that we won't give an opportunity for, uh, for, uh, for apostates. Uh, uh, epicorsin is sort of like a catch all term in Vinic literature for people who, who, uh, uh, reject Jewish faith. Um, it comes, it's an interesting aside, it comes from, anybody want to guess where it comes from? Greek. It's not, yeah, Greek. From what in Greek? What does it sound like? Any Greek word you've ever heard? Say it again, please. Epicorsine. Epicureans. 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 Um, and, 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 and what do the uh, Epicureans believe? Among other things, the Epicureans, if I'm not mistaken, I could, my Greek philosophy may be off, but Epicureans believe that um, uh, in the in the eternality of the world, right? That the world is uh, that, that matter is can either be created nor destroyed, right? Uh, and um, so the uh, the Epicureans, I think, were among the first to theorize about atoms. Um, so it's interesting aside, but, uh, but anyway, so, you know, so the, there's a, there's a, a sense among the rabbinic tradition that, you know, one of the fundamental, uh, apostasies that you can, that you can commit, um, this isn't universal in, in rabbinic literature and, and people disagree about this definition of Epicureans, but, or Epicorsine, uh, but, uh, uh, but one of them is this, the, the, the rejection of the idea that God created the world from nothing. Um. Anyway, okay. Uh, so, uh, so to not give epicure, to, to not give apostates the opportunity to to say, um, how can the world exist uh, because it was created uh, with uh, with 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 cursing language? Right. So the Torah is not just that the Torah doesn't begin with an aleph because aleph is the language of cursing, uh, but but more than that, it's to not give an opportunity for apostates to challenge the validity of, uh, of, of, of Torah, right. Or the, or, or the functionality of the world. Right. So, um, I think what it, what's getting at here is, you know, uh, how can the Torah be true, uh, if the world exists, but if the world exists, then, uh, then it couldn't have been created with ling- with, with cursing, you know, words with cursing language because the world would fall apart. You know, if it, if it was made with like bad, you know, with 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 a curse, right? And so, if the Torah began with an aleph, then Epicurean, then 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 apostates would would argue against its validity, right? Or against you know, uh, against God in a way. So, um, okay. Elamar Kadosh Baruch Hu. So, but rather, God says, Harayani Boreo Tovoshom Bracha, Bahalavai Yamod. And so rather God says, I will create the world with, uh, with, 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 lang- with blessing language, uh, with, or with, you know, with, with like a bet because it implies a blessing. And, uh, and, and I hope that it will continue to stand. Now, I, you know, I just like, I think that's worth lingering on that. I know this is just the rabbis kind of speculating here, maybe just reading too much into it, but this idea of God saying, halavaya amot, right? Um, uh, um, I hope 
you know, that it will stand, right? That, uh, that if only it will continue to exist, right? So it's, that's something in some ways surprising for God to be put into God's mouth. Because, you know, the presumption I think that a lot of us bring to God is that, first of all, um, that, you know, if God wants something to continue standing, God can make it that it will continue to stand, right, or exist. And the other is that uh, doesn't God know what the future is going to hold, right? And so here I think you have an indication that, uh, at least in some strand of the rabbinic mindset, that God doesn't necessarily know how the things are going to turn out, and it may be up to us whether the world continues to exist or not. That partnership. Yeah. I do. Yeah. So the promise after Noah, what was that? After the flood. Well, God only promises not by flood, right? God only promises not to destroy by flood. Yeah. Also, I mean, we have free will. We could destroy each other. Right. I mean, you kind of cross your fingers that you know they don't misuse that that freeness to destroy. Because you know, like, kind of a. I also hope that it won't. But he's got a, it's bigger and more beautiful than Kim Jong Un's button, so yeah. um, <laughs> and his works. Halavai. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, um, right. Um, yeah, no, but I think you know, going to know, you know, I, I often use this as an example of uh, of how, and, and I can take credit for point because it was pointed out to me by my teacher. Brad Artson, I never really thought about that before, uh, but, you know, what kind of God that knows how the future is going to turn out uh, would uh, would say in that story of Noah uh, that uh, that God, you know, regretted having created humans, you know? A, 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 somebody who knows the future doesn't have regrets, right? Uh, because you, you know, as well, let me rephrase that. Somebody who is all-powerful and knows the future should not have regrets, right? So, um, Devar Acher, so another interpretation. Lama Bavet, so why was the world created with a bet? Ella Ma Bet, Ze Yeshloshne Akatsin, Echad Milamale, Vachad Milamata, Meachorav, Omrim Labet, Mi Braacha, Vehu Marebe Akzo Milamala, Vamar Ze Shelamala Barani, Umashemo. Okay, this is a little bit tricky. So another uh, another interpretation. So why was the why was the world created with a bet, or why why did the Torah start with a bet? Uh, because just as a bet has uh, uh, has two branches, two yeah, two two branches, uh, one above and one uh, below. Uh, um, uh, and, and behind. Um, uh, so someone could say to a bat, who created you? And he would look at the branch above and say, uh, whatever is above me created me. And what's his name? And he would look uh, in the branch behind him uh, and say, God is his name. Or Adonai is his name. What is that supposed to mean? The backward point of the base leans towards the olive, which precedes it. The olive is the first letter of many divine names, such as Hebrew words uh, Elohim, 
Adonai and good, 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 right? So that's that's the that's what the classical commentary on the midrash says, uh, right? That uh, now he says, so okay, who created you? Whatever is above me created me. What's his name, right? If if it were if it were not a bet, if it were an aleph that was the first letter of the Torah, the aleph couldn't look behind the aleph and say uh, that uh, that there, there, there's something behind me that I can point to that would have been responsible for creating me. But a bet has an aleph behind him, right? And it could say, you know, whatever his name starts with aleph created me. So we have Elohim, Eloha, Adonai, um, uh, Eheyeh, right? Are all, are, many of the names for God start with Aleph. Right? If it were a gimbal that the Torah started with, right, the, the gimbal also couldn't really do that because, you know, uh, gimbal's got both a bet and an Aleph behind him. And then you could say, well, maybe, you know, maybe the gimbal would say, I don't know, one of these two guys created me, you know, um, that, that were in front of me in the line, right? The, that's only got one thing in front of him or one thing before him, so, or her. So, uh, so it only has one name to point to or one word to point to. Okay. Uh, Amar Rabbi Elazar Barchanina, Bashem Rabbi Acha. Okay, so Rabbi Elazar, this uh, uh, son of Rabbi Chanina, said in the name of Rabbi Acha. Esrim v'shisha dorot ha'ita ha'alef koreit tigar lifnei kiso shal kadosh baruch hu. Nancy, uh, what do you have uh, as a translation as koreit tigar lifnei uh, lifnei tigar? He 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 was uh, uh, calling out what in front of uh, the throne of the holy blessing one. I have. For 26 generations, the letter Olive complained before the throne of Kakadash. Okay, create Tigar. You complained, okay? Kvetch, to call it out, call out Kvetches before, before, the, before the throne of the Holy Blessed. Okay, for, for, for 26 generations, the Aleph was Kvetching in front of God's throne. Amralafanav, the, the Aleph said to God, Ribona Shalolam, Ani Rishon Shalotiot, I'm the first of all of the letters. Velo Barata Olam Echabi, so why didn't you create the world with me? Okay, so uh, so God said to the letter Aleph, uh, the whole world and everything in it was only created uh, for the sake of, of Torah or for the merit of Torah. Hashem um, Yasad Aretz. Uh, that, uh, that that God in wisdom founded the earth, or with wisdom founded the earth, or for wisdom founded the earth. The, we've seen this a few times that the the term chokhmah in in Proverbs in, in Mishlei uh, or in Ecclesiastes uh, is often equated by the midrash with Torah. It just presumes that when when Proverbs says chokhmah wisdom, it's talking about Torah. So we um, we saw that in the very first midrash, and it's come up a few times. Right. Um, uh, the first midrash says, "Adonai Konani Rishit Darko" or something like that. Right. That the, that God created me as the beginning of God's pathway, and it's referring in that instance to to Chokhmah in in the Book of Proverbs. But the midrash takes that to mean Torah. So so here it's a midrash who says that the that uh, that that God founded the earth or or set the foundations of the earth for. 
Yasad, yeah. Yasad, Yasod is the foundation, right? So, so Yasad as a verb is like, 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 like established, right? Establish the earth for wisdom or for Torah, right? God created the world, and this is, uh, frankly, we, uh, we've been talking about this a lot, right? God created the world for the sake of Torah, right? In order to create Torah. Um, Lemachar anibali ten Torah basinai, ve'ini poteach tichila elabach. Okay, and so tomorrow or later, I guess he's saying uh, that I'm going to go and give the Torah on Mount Sinai, and I will only begin my remarks about Torah with you, Shemar Anochi Adonai Elohecha, as it says, "I am the Lord your God." Okay, so this other interpretation of of Midrash: Why didn't the Torah start with Aleph? And what's the answer? Because it, he created the world only for Torah. I mean, it seems like that was the answer. Uh-huh. Good. Um, and, but, but then he says, you know, I'll, I'll take the Torah to, to Sinai and I will commence it with you. What does that mean? Well, sure, but is he talking to the Olive still? Yeah, he's talking to the Olive still. He's saying, I'm going to start, I'm going to start the Torah, right? Anochi Adonai right? The first words that God speaks to the children of Israel on Mount Sinai starts with the letter. Olive. Olive. Some people... Don't feel bad. So don't feel bad. Right? Don't feel so bad, right? Some people, some people say, by the way, that you know, because there's, it's sort of unclear in that narrative that we just read last week in, in the parsha, um, how much of the Torah God speaks to the children of Israel before they say to God, we or to Moses, we don't want to hear from God anymore. We want to hear from you. Some some interpretations say that all God spoke at Mount Sinai was the was the letter Aleph, right? ultimately a silent letter. Right, um, and then before people said, "Whoa, there, guy," you know, uh, too much, too much. Um, you know, so the, you have, a, I think, two interesting things in this, you know, uh, a piece of the midrash. One is, you know, there's a certain arrogance on the part of the Aleph to say that, you know, like I'm the first letter, you should start with me, and God saying to him, "I'm not creating the world for you, right. I'm creating the world for Torah." Right, so it's not about you, Aleph. Right? Um, but certainly it's taking into consideration human nature, you know? Yeah, how come? Well, because that's what people would do, you know, personalize it or make it about me or, you know, I want to be first. Or, mm-hmm. you know, that, so he's taking that away. Yeah. Hmm. But he maybe recognizes that that's what people would do in, in saying that. The olive so, should know before whom it stands. What's that? The olive should know before whom it stands. Right. Right. There's a lot of that olive has a lot of chutzpah. Yeah. You could you could just picture that olive too. It's like it's right? got his little. He's got his hands up. No, Why? He's got his little branches. When my son was in kindergarten, he and his friend went to Sunday school kindergarten, and this guy came home with a with a drawing, and he comes in, and he said to his mother, "I drew." So then, if if it's true that God's like putting the olive in His place here, her place here, then why does God then start the revelation at Mount Sinai with an olive? Is it like a consolation prize? That's what it sounds like. That's right. Here it's like 
It's like, you know, cool it, cool it there, Olive, but, you know, but think of your moment. moment and what do we lot. know better? People know the Ten Commandments better than they probably know the beginning of the, of the Torah. So Olive, in the end, probably got a better standing than the Bet. Hmm. I don't know. That feels arguable to me. Um, I think both are kind of high-level positions. I feel bad for Gimel. Feel bad for Gimel. What do they get? Um, they get the dreidel. <laughs> it's they the share best, the dreidel. It's, it's the, well, the Gimel's the best one on oh, the dreidel. It is. It is. Yeah. That's, that's everyone that's happy about Gimel. And, and truth okay, be so told, knowledge. truth be told, knowledge. more Jewish kids know that Gimel is what you get yeah. for <laughs> when you land on the dreidel than know the first verse of Genesis or the first verse of the Ten Commandments. So you know, Gimel really wins. Um... All right, let's, let me just, because like, we're out of time, but let's do the last line of this midrash, just to say, we just to finish it. Rabbi Hoshaya Amar, Lama Nikra Shemo Aleph. Okay, so why was, why is the letter called Aleph? Shehu maskim me'elef. Shne'amar davar tzival elef dor. So, what's your translation say there, Nancy? I'll give you the whole thing. Yeah. Because God had determined to give the Torah and begin its delivery with the letter Aleph. After one thousand generations, Maskim Elef, oh, because it because it agreed after a thousand. Yeah, okay, that's, that's strange. Sometimes it doesn't give you all the like words there. Yeah, they had to fill it. Maskim Elef, right? So, so after a thousand years, the Aleph stopped protesting, or right? after a thousand generations, the Aleph stopped protesting. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Eventually, you got it. Right, uh, but it, but but it required change. But it required a significant consolation, I guess. Right? Um, all right, well, why don't we start there for this week? We'll pick up with the, with the next Midrash next week.